Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Kozovic. Alexis Sanchez. And it's cut back to Lukaku! Razor sharp! And Inter surely have the win they need. Inter Milan and Antonio Conte take care of business against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Real Madrid lose to Shakhtar Donetsk one more time. Atletico Madrid concede late to Bayern Munich. A Bayern Munich without Robert Lewandowski. And now it's all to play for against Jesse Marsh's RB Salzburg in the final match day. We have all the Tuesday recap with Jimmy Conrad and James Benj, and it begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Kego Lasso. It's our Tuesday recap, and what a day to begin match day five. I got Jimmy Conrad here. Jimmy, how are you, bud? I am still in disbelief by some of the results, some of the things that I saw. But yeah, what an entertaining day of games. So I'm excited to dive in and, and uh, sink our teeth into some of these, uh, these topics, some narratives that, that, that have now arisen. Some narratives that have risen. My goodness, what uh, a loaded afternoon evening of action let's begin with honestly just a game that uh we just finished watching uh munching gladback losing to inter milan 3-2 antonio conte going insane at the end obviously uh just rescuing inter milan for the moment in this champions league and rose marco rose of course as well just going insane as well uh we'll talk about it but an incredible game with inter milan winning 3-2 a lukaku brace a fantastic brace uh, that was followed uh, Darmian's uh, opener in the 17th minute, uh, but play doing his thing uh, with a brace. And you thought, you thought that Mönchengladbach had a goal, but it was disallowed. And let's get into it, uh, Jimmy. Uh, Thoughts on the disallowed goal. Oh, I am supremely biased because I encouraged you guys to bet the draw in this game and it would have made it three, three. And I'm pretty sure that's how it would have finished up. We're talking inches, and I feel like when the shot comes off a player's foot, he would have had a hat trick, by the way, which would have been a second of the competition. He done it against Shakhtar a little bit earlier uh, in the season. I just I, I get the rule, but because the player in question wasn't blocking the line of sight for the goalkeeper, and he's in an offside position barely, he jumps out of the way, but it doesn't impact the goalkeeper. I, I don't understand why that should be called. I feel like there should be some interpretation there. And I'm pissed about that. But again, a lot of it is because I told you there'd be a draw on this one. And you know, we could argue maybe there should have been. I wasn't really impressed all that much with Borussia Mönchengladbach's form. I, I thought, you know, they were a little bit more loose than I'd seen them up until this point. But Inter, I thought, played very well. And, and uh, yeah, 3-3 three, three would have been so tasty in so many different ways. There's 10 yellow cards in this game too, by the way. So it got really chippy, especially at the end as things were starting to pop off. But a lot of it, I think, for me, was because the Munch and Gladbach players were pissed that that goal didn't stand. So all of a sudden their emotions get running hot. 
And then Inter's just trying to hold on because they need to win because Madrid lost, by the way. I know we'll get into that for a second. But uh, yeah, big missed opportunity for Munch and Gladbach. And they're going to be, I can't wait to see their quotes post game to, to really understand just how aggrieved they're going to feel. Yeah, well, Monchen Gladbach's uh, manager, Marco Rose, got a yellow card after that disallowed goal. And rightly so. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just a mess of a situation with VAR. This was another situation where uh, the ref was asked to once again look at the monitor. And if you go back to everything that we talk about in this podcast, I feel that that just mentally prepares you to go against your opposing decision. And he really wasn't in the way of, of, of the keeper and the offside call. Once again, it was just like, you know, you're talking about millimeters and it really just wasn't given any type of advantage. It was just a really contentious type of disallowed goal. And rightly so, everybody complained. And to your point, so many yellow cards in the process. It was kind of like one of those rainy days in Europe. And, you know, aside from the disallowed goal, fair play to Inter Milan because they came to fight. And that's always what Antonio Conte is going to give you, a fight. He absolutely loaded up that midfield just to try and disrupt any kind of possession-based football. And again, Jimmy, you're right. I don't think Munchen Gladbach was playing at their best. And I think that maybe mentally they entered this game feeling confident because of maybe what they've seen from Inter Milan in the, in the, in the, in the tournament. And I feel like they maybe expected less of a fight, more of an anxious Inter Milan. I don't know. Lukaku was on it today. And, and you know, fair play to Inter Milan, regardless of the disallowed goal. What I'm going to say is I think both of these teams had an advantage or disadvantage in some ways to know the result of the Shakhtar Donetsk-Real Madrid game after it happened. So they go into it. And now, I think for the first time throughout this competition, because now we're in match day five, Borussia Mönchengladbach went out there with something to lose. Up until this point, they always had something to gain. They had nothing They had nothing to lose. Now, let's, let's, let's say we're in the Inter-Milan locker room. You just find out that Real Madrid lost to Shakhtar Donetsk. That gives you an absolutely viable chance to potentially get into the knockout rounds. Like you, your belief is back. You step out on that field going, oh my God, we got, we got to take advantage of this, right? You, you step out on that field going, all right, we're going we're gonna to do the business today because we have Shakhtar at home in last match day. If we win here and we win that one, we have a great chance of getting into the knockout rounds. You give a team with that much talent, that opportunity where they have just a little taste of what's possible, they're going to go out and play the game that they did. And they still almost threw it away, by the way. There's something to be said for that. But Borussia Mönchengladbach, I don't think we're ready for it. Uh, they did fight back a couple of different times. And it just wasn't the same Munch and Gladbach. And I, I guess I'm saying that because before they had leads in most of their games. And then this one they did. I mean, they're coming off of, you know, two 6-0 and 4-0 winning against Shakhtar in the last two match days and, and dropped points in the other two match days where they had leads and then gave up late goals. They almost did the same to Inter Milan, which would have been fair, I think, in a, in a fair and just world. But we, I know we all don't live in that. So it, it's they're going to feel hard done by and they should, but they only have themselves a kick because they've dropped so many points throughout this competition. Yeah, absolutely. And let's go now to that Real Madrid against Shakhtar Donetsk. Donetsk, Shakhtar Donetsk can take the broom out because they swept Real Madrid in the group stage. Uh, kind of unbelievable. The first game, you're thinking, well, you know, maybe Real Madrid got shocked a little bit. Sudan got a little cocky with his rotation. As you mentioned, they don't play that well in Alfredo Stefano Stadium. But now in a game where Real Madrid really needed to win, Karim Benzema returns. He has the armband. You know, they're looking like not necessarily... Uh, amazingly confident, but, you know, courageous enough to think, you know what, we're going to take care of business now and for all. And they didn't. Shakhtar Donetsk really played some great stuff, honestly, once again, with the young Brazilians, along with their exper experienced Ukrainians. And here's Real Madrid 
losing again to Shakhtar Donetsk. And, you know, well played to Shakhtar Donetsk, to be honest. I, I, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Shakhtar Donetsk. They actually, one of my favorite players for their team is their number 10, Junior Marais. He's a little bit older. I think he's got a little white in his hair, you know, but he's, there's something about his game that I really like. He's a connector. He can also score. He's, he's very hungry in and around the box, very ambitious. And he came off. He had been injured for a while and he finally got back in. He's been in the team for a little bit, but he came off of the 25th minute. They put in Dentinho and Dentinho is the one that ended up scoring the goal off of a mistake between Mendy and Veron. Veron didn't react quick enough or whatever it is. I still have some questions of Madrid in general with regard to Lucas Vasquez as a right back. Yes, there are moments where he's, he's fine. He's adequate, but he just, he didn't grow up as a defender. So he doesn't think as a defender. He's not thinking about angles or anticipating the potential of the worst case scenario, right? When you, when you're learning how to become a defender, you're always trying to make sure that you're prepared and in the right spot from a positional standpoint to, to defend the worst case scenario. And then if that doesn't happen, then obviously you move up your list of where you can be for the next thing. It's always trying to put out fires before they start. Vasquez doesn't have that. I don't hold that against him. It's just not how he grew up. It's just, it's just, so when you have that player and then on the other side, you have Mendy who I do like, but, but at one point in your team, this is a bigger conversation about Madrid, but they had Ashraf Hakimi, who's now with Inter Milan and they had Sergio Reguillon, who was with Spurs. They had two guys that could have really helped them. Now I know they went and splashed the cash on Mendy and I, I don't mind Mendy. I like him. I think he's a good player, but there's something not right with this team. Something's off. Casemiro uh, didn't play as well. They're missing some key guys in the spine of it. I thought Benzema was going to make more of a difference. He didn't. And, and Madrid were busy. They were in and around the box, but never really felt like the Madrid that were going to super, uh, like, threaten in a, in a really, uh, you know, super hard way. I've tried to throw super back in there. I don't think that was the right choice of words. But, but yeah, very disappointing for Madrid. And now there's everything to play for. I will say this, Luis, and then I want to pass the mic over to you. Despite all this, despite Madrid only having two wins in their first five match days, they still have a chance to win the group. That is as Madrid as it gets, by the way. Now, because Borussia Mönchengladbach have eight, uh, Madrid have seven, Shakhtar Donetsk have seven, and Inter Milan have five. This, this group is nuts. And for me, the group of death. I know that Manchester United supporters will say they have the group of death or whatever, but this one for me is the group of death. I think it's the group of death because I think the definition of group of death here is more about the vulnerabilities of every single team as opposed to like every single team is so good. Usually when we talk about the group of death, we're thinking, oh my God, every team has something to give. But in this situation, every team shows its vulnerabilities and that's what makes it so dangerous. And just a little bit more about that Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk game, by the way. Um, Real Madrid have now lost as many group games in the Champions League this season as they did under Zidane during the 2016-17, 2017-18, and 2019-20 campaign. Combined. That's, under, that's unreal. You know? And also, shout out to Manor Solomon, by the way. Solomon, who came in and scored. He now, his four Champions League goals have come as a substitute, scoring in both matches against Real Madrid. More goals than Aiden Hazard, by the way. Uh, just to <laughs> rub it in. But the, you know shade, what? the shade that you're throwing right now is amazing. Listen, sometimes you just got to give it when you give it. But <laughs> to echo Jimmy's final point, this is still up for grabs for Real Madrid. Thanks to Inter Milan and Antonio Conte. And if I were sitting in Sedan, I would just send him a bunch of uh, Chianti Classicos over to Antonio Conte because honestly, it's unbelievable that you're looking at this group and it's still up for grabs. As you mentioned, Mönchengladbach, eight points, Shakhtar Donetsk, seven, Real Madrid, seven, and Inter Milan with five points. Crazy, huh? It's Crazy. all pop, all popping off. Match day six is, six is going to be amazing. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach travels to Spain to take on Real Madrid. 
And then Shakhtar Donetsk uh, travels to Italy to take on Inter Milan. So the two teams that are on the bottom, the two teams that we never thought would be at the bottom at any point throughout this competition are now in a power position at home to do the business. And we could, we could see them both potentially uh, getting to the top. Well, I don't know, actually, if I look at it, Inter has their goal difference is minus two and Borussia Mönchengladbach is plus nine. So if they do tie on eight points, it could be, it could be tough for Inter. Yeah. They need, they need Real Madrid to lose. They need Real Madrid to lose. Yeah. Them. That's the only way I think that they get in, but still, they still have a chance. Inter Milan still has a chance. When we come back, we'll talk more Champions League from Tuesday's action. Stay right here. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Jimmy had to split, but no worries, because we bring in James Benj from the UK. James Benj, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Been a fun night. It's been a weird night when you did the whole such drama. I can't quite compute it all yet. Yep, me neither. That's pretty much what we've been talking about, the drama, the weirdness. Uh, let's get into it and let's talk, James Benj, about Group D where Liverpool uh, comes out with a very resilient win because Ajax ain't no picnic, and they win one nothing thanks to Curtis Jones. Um, how'd you see that one? And now because they qualified for the knockout stages, so well done, right? Yeah, done, sorted, top of the group. Um, feels like it was a little bit easier than it might have been. I mean, if you haven't seen uh, Curtis Jones's goal, or more accurately, Onana's bizarre mistake, Try track it down. Um, it's so weird. I mean, I know I don't know what the commentary was like in the states, but in the in the UK there was an awful lot of sort of general criticism about Anana before the goal, and I thought he was excellent. He's really confident with the ball at his feet, and I thought that was crucial to Ajax really playing a really fun, effervescent, energetic game that had Liverpool on the back foot. They were dominating possession. They were sort of creating not chances, but the bit before chances, there were some great crosses from Neres flashing across the box. Um, I thought the defence was excellent. Pair Schurz, you kind of can see why they sold Delict because he was he he and Masrawi and Alvarez, they were defending fantastically. It's not what you would teach a team about how you should defend. This was last gasp tackles. This was flying in to to clear the ball, and if it goes wrong, you could get a red card. You certainly get a yellow. But it, it was working. And then it was all the crueler and all the more ironic that Onana just kind of forgot that he could use his hands. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> what it was. He's so good with his feet. Maybe he does sometimes think, oh, I, surely I'm not a goalkeeper. It was so bizarre. Um, I suppose it doesn't really, in a way, it's a game that doesn't really matter. We knew Liverpool would go through eventually. And 
kind of knew that the Ajax wouldn't just be able to to settle for anything kind of against Atalanta anyway. So Ajax have got to beat Atalanta, but um, I think maybe they they might feel like they could have got more from this game. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, left Allison behind, and we had the young Irish keeper. How do you say his first name? Kieden. Is that right? Kieden. That's a, that's a good go. I think that's a, a, a decent effort considering you didn't tell me you were going to ask me how to say his name. <laughs> I surprised you, huh? Let, let's say it is. And apologies like to all our Irish <laughs> friends uh, for if we make it wrong, but Kieman? Kieman Kelleher? Kevin. Right? Kevin? <laughs> it sounds like Kevin. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> anyway, he had a very, very good performance, I thought, right? Taking in mind that he had to take in big steps over Allison. Yeah, one really good save late on. Um, it's the sort that you kind of train as a goalkeeper to just be on your feet, ready to parry it. But otherwise, you know, I mean, everything else that came his way, he dealt with pretty decently. I mean, Ajax probably should have turned it into more shots. I think they were really guilty. Well, they weren't guilty of, but they were trying to get in close. And that meant that a lot of these things died at the last move. And if that pass had been there, they would have scored. Klaassen could have scored two or three. But he was great. Um, you can kind of see good on the ball. You can see why he, he gets picked ahead of Adrian. Um, Alison, though, out for like maybe two weeks. Um, this is all starting to add up. And Andy Robertson played through some sort of pain in his foot. Um, I kind of was writing about this in my talking points. I think this has now got to the stage where Klopp can't just blame the fixture list in the abstract because there is something that's happening to Liverpool that isn't happening to every other team playing in the Champions League. I don't know if that's when you get two or three injuries, it all just sort of ramps up and you have to ask so much more of the players that are in your squad and then they're going to get injured more. But I mean, there are questions to be asked about Klopp now because it's a dozen odd players out. Um, a lot of them with muscle injuries. Could he be doing more? I don't know. Well, it's something actually that I've talked about for a while, which is, you know, the Jurgen Klopp system is usually so demanding physically that this actually happens. And you can see it right here. My question to you, James Bench, is that here we have in the past few days, Jurgen Klopp complaining almost even, not almost, like he, he went at a journalist and, you know, just showing his frustration over the, uh, the, the schedule, the fixtures, all, all very well. I take it, Jurgen. I'm agreeing with you. But why did you just use two subs today? When, you know, you're talking about certain players that are, they ran through injuries. You know, I understand that, you know, it's an important game and you want to make it to the knockout stage, but you didn't use, you know, because you have five subs in the Champions League. Like, why didn't you use the maximum subs? that could alleviate some of the issues that you worry about. I was sat there going, what is Robertson still doing on the pitch? And yeah, I, I, I can always see the logic to, in these circumstances, keeping that one sub in reserve because you're worried someone's hamstring will go pop. Um, but like, that's, you know, that's not, that's not the case here. He, you know, he, he, he rode this, this team hard. And I know the game was, was kind of up, up for grabs, but he's got players like Minamino on the bench, was Origi on the bench as well. You know, the players that you can you can kind of bring on and expect a certain standard of performance, and he's just not using them. And players like 
Robertson's played three games in a week. Milner played three games in a week. Um, Alexander-Arnold, I, I was working this out, he missed nine minutes of Premier League and Champions League football before he injured his calf muscle. <laughs> Two things can be true. It can be true that the schedule has been really tough on Liverpool and that BT Sport are probably a bit unfair. Unf and it, it probably isn't right that a team that plays Wednesday night then play first thing on, on Saturday morning. I think we know that in the Europa League, a lot of teams do longer trips on a Thursday and then come back and play early on Sunday. But you, it is time, I think, to say, could Klopp be managing this more effectively? It's not news to him. It, you know, we're now at the stage where the fixture list has been set for quite a while and he's known it's going to be three, three games in a week. So you have to ask the question. Maybe his honest answer is, actually, I don't feel I could do any more. But like you say, using all your subs or most of your subs would be a good starting point. And by the way, Pep Guardiola just used one sub. He just brought in Gabriel Jesus and that was it. So, you know, and he's had similar. So it's not, this is not just an attack on Liverpool Jurgen club. It's just, you know, you got a deep squad. You're just using one substitute. Like, you know, I mean, sometimes you just got to look at your own house and see what do I have to do in order to clean it. Right. Um, let, let's move on. because I want to talk about uh, Atletico Madrid. This was the chance. This was the opportunity. Uh, Bayern Munich without Robert Lewandowski, without Manuel Neuer, without Leon Goretzka, essentially a B team. You rested pretty much your Felix for you know this weekend. I mean, you only brought him on at the you know in the latter stages of the game uh, in La Liga, and you know you're looking good, but you really should have put this one away and you rue the day. And now it's one all thanks to Thomas Müller's penalty in the 86th minute, and here we are in Group A. As I'm speaking, James Bench, and here we have Bayern Munich obviously done with 13 points, Atleti with six points, but RB Salzburg with their win, they're in third with four points, only two behind Atleti, and Lokomotiv Moscow with three. Thoughts, thoughts on that group overall and how Atleti did and moving ahead as we look to match day six? I mean, Atleti in La Liga seem to be kind of coping quite well with being protagonists, being aggressive taking the game to their opponents. Um, but here, they just, they were really passive. The game sort of passed them by, um, with the exception of Felix, who seemed to have quite a good game. Um, but the rest of them weren't really creating chances. I, I think, you know, players like Angel Correa, even Yannick Carrasco, you know, what are you, what are you thinking you're going to get from them in an, in an attacking sense? And I know, look, there's not a huge number of forwards in this squad, but I mean, that I, I, I the mind boggles at how, how little they created, considering the the quality of opponents they were they were up against. I'm looking at the you know some of the stats now: 13 shots, three shots on target, um, pretty much all of the xG of one and a half comes from Joao Felix, and that's like that's a lot to put on a, a, a twenty something. Um, yeah, it just feels like if you, and it was the same, wasn't it, against RB Leipzig last season, it feels like if you put Atleti in a position where they have to dominate a game, where they have to assert themselves on opposition, they just freeze and they don't, they don't, haven't, haven't worked out how to do that, which is odd because they've been at a, a top European side now for a decade. Um, bit of love as well for, for Musiala. Um, these young English boys, we're coming for Europe. It's great to see. Um, but yeah, love for Musiala, none for Atleti. And I worry, 
I don't worry because I'd like to see RB Salzburg go through. Um, but if I were Atletico Madrid, an Atletico Madrid fan, yeah, I would worry. I'd really worry about them against Salzburg. And that's going to be a great game where RB Salzburg are going to host Atletico Madrid next uh, time round. They see each other next week. Uh, it should be a great one. And to your point, uh, this is not going to be a picnic because RB Salzburg are ready for it. And well done on Jesse Marshall from getting that win. Uh, against Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, let's finish off here as we look around. Um, any final thoughts from today, James Benj? Because now I, I feel that today was one of those days. Match day five to me, Benj, is one of those days when you're kind of beginning to see more and more what a club is going to look like if they make it to the round of 16, mm. right? It, it, these are basically knockout games. Exactly. There are not enough to me surprises that you're going to get it. And I'm looking at your Man Cities, I'm looking at your Liverpools, and I'm seeing, okay, it's, it's pretty much what you've always pretty much done, which is, you know, essentially get to the knockout stage. But what can you do now in order to really secure all the way through? Maybe less Liverpool, because we've seen that. They've already won it in recent times. But Man City, you know, a Pep Guardiola, uh, you know, treasure hunt so to speak because he hasn't won it yet with Man City is there anything else that you see from all these teams especially from today uh, that tells you maybe something about the future yeah I mean quickly I'll, I, I want to talk about another team but quickly on City I think this kind of re, you know even that miss and then the, the VI, VAR goal that wasn't it all kind of for me re, reinforces the sense that if, the, if City are going to go into the knockout rounds with Gabriel Jesus I don't see them as winners. I just, you know, they will miss too many. They don't create enough chances to accommodate Jesus missing a fair few um, and being a bit clumsy in front of goal. But I, I mean, I want to talk about Salzburg because because they are, I mean, I was watching a bit of their game before I switched over for the madness in Donetsk. Um, they are a team that I think if they did get past Atleti and they play really attacking football and will not, you know, not let up and will make this game hard for Atleti, I think they could suit this format in a really interesting way, kind of like a like a Monaco from a few years ago where they just come out swinging and they'll they'll keep hitting you. And even if you go 2-0 up, they're not going to give up. And we've seen that as much as we think of knockout football as being the tournament that's what, you know, competition that's won by great defences. And maybe once you get to the semi-finals, that's true. You know, in those early rounds, if a team's willing to just swing for the fences, it pays off as often as it doesn't. Um, I really like Salzburg's relentless energy. You know, their response to going 2-1 down. Um, was just to come out swinging even more. Shaboshlai has been one of my players of the tournament. The guy that scored two goals as well. He's laying into the box. I love him, but I'm gonna have. I'm gonna throw. Just as you're talking about Dominic Shaboshlai, by the way, uh, the Hungarian star. It will be very interesting to see what happens because we had Fabrizio Romano, obviously our new uh, colleague. Uh, talking about it on the pod about how, you know, watch out for your arsenal in this transfer window. Mm -hmm. They're going to aggressively hunt it. And what if they lose Lovosly and, you know, they have to rethink. I mean, listen, like Jesse Marsh is a really good manager. And to your point, it's not really just about Lovosly. This is a really well-managed team, but Lovosly is a very big part of what makes them tick. And maybe you might not see him in the knockout stage with RB You might with RB Leipzig. With uh, I, I, mean, I, know, I mean, you know, I know Fabrizio... I mean that that Arsenal link. I mean, we were first. I was first talking about that back in in 2019. You know, they will they will push for him. Um, 
so will AC Milan. I think Fab mentioned them as well, and so will RB Leipzig. And yeah, even if they're doing it without Shiboshlai, I just think you know we've seen this is a team that that constantly. You know, you take out Erling Haaland, that's fine. We've got Patson Darker. Right. Um, you take out Sadio Mane, they cope. Um, so I'd love to see that. I'd love to see them get through because, frankly, you know, they're the sort of teams that I really enjoy seeing in the, the knockout stage, teams that are just going to give it a bit of a go. I think if someone kind of said to me, you're covering Atletico Madrid's round of 16 tie, I'd be clawing my eyeballs out. Um, as much as I admire what they've done, it's got a bit boring. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm, I mean, to be honest, I'm really excited for that. That 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 Salzburg Madrid game, I think, is going to be a thriller, and I can't wait. It's so it, it's not as often as we think that you kind of get these like straight shootouts for for a knockout spot. It'll be great. Yeah, I totally agree. James Bench, thank you so much for joining us. Always. Always welcome here. He knows that. He knows that. Anytime he wants to come in, he can come. James Baines, thank you so much, buddy. My pleasure. Thank you so much to Jimmy Conrad and James Bench for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Kegolasso Pod. And if you're listening to us on CBSSports.com, please make sure that you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating and review. It really helps grow this show. And listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher. We will see you very soon as the week continues with more action. Have a great day. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.